Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Commando Voice. Today, I'm here with an intuitive life coach. Please welcome Marla Williams. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. On this episode, I got to speak with Marla Williams, who she's now an intuitive business coach or life coach, um, but she started in the building the HR department at Genie Industries, which you would recognize Genie uh, as the name of the lifts that you see all over the place. Um, she was working with the company, though, when it was still around 100 employees or less. Um, so anyways, that's where she got her start and then slowly advanced and did um, stay with that company for many years and then moved on and then now runs her own business, which is the intuitive life coach business. Um, and she's actually in the process of or about to launch her new book. Um, and so anyways, we talk about her book and uh, what it kind of goes over. Um, also kind of the, some tips and tricks for things, uh, one, like how to deal with COVID and what's going on right now, um, as well as things you can do on a daily practice that can help you have a more productive and efficient day. So anyways, I really enjoyed my conversation with Marla, um, and I know you will too. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Marla Williams. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Command of Voice. Today, I'm here with an intuitive life coach. Please welcome to the podcast, Marla Williams. Hey, happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Yeah. So before we jump into everything, tell us a little bit about Marla. Okay, well, I just moved to Camino like four and a half years ago, and absolutely love it. It's a place where things are quieter, and you kind of can slow down to what I call the speed of life, instead of rushing and racing around the world like I did when I lived in uh, mainstream Seattle area. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So, yeah. Um, okay. So you said you've been on Camino four and a half years. Um, mm -hmm. Where did you grow up? I was born in Seattle. Uh, lived in Everett for a while, but spent most of my childhood down in Kent on Lake Meridian. Okay. So I grew up on a beautiful lake, spending time, most of my time on the water, in the water, uh, during the warmer months of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And then um, did you did you stay there through your whole growing up time then? I'm pretty much a Washington. Yeah. Throughout my, uh, I graduated high school, Kent Meridian, and went to the University of Washington. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, for college. And when I was going to the University of Washington, my parents had four of us in college at the same time. So all of us had to work. And okay. I was working at the Seattle Times. And I fell in love with the job of the human resource manager there. He was called personnel manager at that time. But Fred had the most amazing job because he got to hire people. He got to walk around and talk to people. And he got to train people. I'm going, hey, that's what I want to do with my life. I want your job. And so I asked him, so what should I get my degree in? And he highly recommended that I kind of create my own degree because he said there's nothing out there that he ever saw in college that would have been really useful for him. And so I was in the business program and I went and talked to him and said, hey, I want to create my own degree. And they said, okay. So I presented a concept and I had to do a senior thesis and I created a degree called organizational development, okay. which is now a degree at the UW. Okay. But I was kind of a pioneer. Instead of just kind of following what everybody else was doing, I did my own thing. And I was fortunate enough to, right out of college, I went into a job in the service industry for about six months, got promoted uh, as from assistant HR manager to a manager to go open up a new property down in Arizona. So I transferred to Arizona. And I got to tell you, after being a Washingtonian my whole life, I could not handle <laughs> the summers in Arizona. So I moved down in October and I was back by July. Wow. What uh, what part of Arizona? In the winter, but not the rest of the time. Right. I was in Scottsdale. Okay. Area. Yeah. Yeah. That's so definitely a hot time. Hot yeah. place. Yeah. 
Yeah, way too hot. Um, so I headed back, and I was lucky enough to land a job with, which ended up being my career. Um, I worked, I got hired by a small company in Redmond that was actually based in the backside of a gravel pit, and it was called Genie Industries. Okay. And Genie was a company that built lifting equipment that put people in the air for the construction industry. If you go by the new high school they're building in Stanwood, you see the big Genie blue lifts all yeah. over. Yeah, yeah, that, Those are what we did. Okay. In fact, I ended up, so I started out as their HR manager and started their HR department. They had about 100 okay. employees and had wow. just been doing things by helter-skelter. And so I came in and started the HR and created their benefits and their policies. And the president and the other people, and together we worked on setting guiding principles and values that really created a culture. And our culture, uh, people would say they bled jean blue, which was our color. Um, people were dedicated to the company. We had very, very low turnover. We had an amazing group of people. And I spent most of my career until I moved into life coaching uh, working for this amazing company. Um, like I said, I started HR after about eight years, and that was really stabilized and everything was working well. I moved into project management and helped create that process okay. in the company where we were going out around the world, talking to customers, what do you want to see in product, what's not working, what is working, how do you use it, what do you want, and then creating and designing products that really met the needs of customers and really took our company to another level. Yeah. And yeah. So cool. all, yeah, all has been useful. And then I was also, because I was in such a key position for HR and then starting this, that I reported to the president and uh, became part of the strategy for the company. And so led actually manager meetings as the president would get off track. Great guy, but couldn't keep a meeting on, <laughs> on schedule. I think that's pretty normal so, for those types. Yeah, loved him to death, but he had me lead manager meetings and then strategic planning, so it gave me all kinds of experience for my life coaching. Yeah. Um, here's the problem. So this is why I'm a life coach. This is kind of takes you into the part of my life where I am now is I work so hard. I was one of those really driven people, and that's why I love Camino because it slows me down. I'm one of those driven people with really, really strong work ethic, and I would just do whatever it took to get the job done. So I'd work long hours, I'd work weekends. Well, then I became a mom and trying to juggle mom with two young boys, acting boys, with full-time work, with volunteer work, I was burning myself out and started getting stress-related diseases. Mm. And it was those times where I had to stop and slow down that I realized what I was doing to myself. And I have to say a big part of my coaching business is helping people that have those same tendencies. Yeah. <laughs> people that tend to try to do too much um, are drawn to me because I know exactly what they're going through and what right. they're experiencing. Uh, the other, um, so the, the day the doctor told me, Marla, if you don't stop, you could die, was the day I said, okay, I have to change. And I kind of scaled back about that same time I lost my nanny. And my put, tried to put my youngest son into childcare, and he started getting really high fevers. So I took that and said, "Okay, it's time." And I ended up retiring. I don't worked at the company. I don't know, uh, 15, 18 years at that time. I don't get to you exactly. Mm -hmm. I retired and stayed home to bring up my kids. But being a doer, I jumped right into all the volunteer work. Yep. And so you you asked me earlier, how did you get into consulting? And I ended up being the president of the Little League, and I held this great big um, session prior to the start of the Little League se uh, season where I brought in a motivational speaker, <laughs> and I um, did a lot of speaking at that. After that session... And then I worked on changing the Little League, by the way. We had one of those really competitive ones where the coaches were pretty hardcore and the kids. And I'm going, that's not what Little League's about. And so I actually did a lot of training. I held coaches accountable. I kicked coaches out that were too mean or too tough or too aggressive and just kind of changed up the flavor of the Little League. And that was the first year we actually went to um, state. One of our Little League teams went to state that year. But... Um, 
that is standing in front of all those people and talking and doing what I did with the Little League was when people in the community started coming to me and say, hey, could you help me and my company? I'm listening to what you're, I'm watching what you're doing. I'm hearing what you're saying and I'd like your help. And so that's where I really got into more of the business coaching at that point and consulting and had some great jobs, nothing that was too hard. I could work it within my day while my kids were at school and still be available for them in the afternoons. Yeah. Uh, about four years into that, Jeannie heard I was doing that. And they recruited me back as a consultant. And so okay. I went back to work with them at a higher rate, hourly rate, and yeah. still worked a lot of hours. So I had a really sweet deal. Came back in marketing for them. So I actually got some marketing experience. Okay. Um, and it's because I knew the product so well. Right. And I understood the product. And I knew the people. And I understood all fun, all those things all added together, kind of created who I am and where I'm at today. Yeah. Um, I think one more thing on that is about 2008, when the economy tanked, Genie is in the housing industry. They're building, the product is building buildings, right? Yeah. But when the economy went down, the company had been bought out by a Fortune 500. And they did a big layoff. And so as part of that, my job ended. And um, that's when I decided to get into life coaching. Okay. And actually get certified as a life coach. So I had a little bit of clout behind it. Yeah. Uh, on top of my consulting experience and my all my experience I had at Genie. Yeah. So. Very cool. So um, <clears throat> so then, okay, so you, you started with the, um, you got the, the business degree and then you were moving different companies. Um, and then with Jeannie, you said you were working in their HR department. Um, yeah. what was that kind of like, like, where do you start there? That was so interesting. When I got there, there were about a hundred employees. So my first week on the job, what I did is I just sat down and I interviewed every single employee in the company. What do you like? What don't you like? What are we doing? Well, what do we need to do better? Those types of questions. And I spent a half hour to an hour with hundred different, 112 different employees and really got my head around what I needed to do and where I needed to go and then presented a concept to the owners and they were all over it. It was the type of company where the owners trusted the people that they brought in. They did a really good job hiring and then they trusted the people to be able to take it. And so all the things that I suggested they were buying into Mm -hmm. and I just started creating policies that would work. Um, and I took us, you know, created benefit programs, negotiated benefits, brought in benefits for the employees, um, increased our safety standards, et cetera. Yeah. And we went from kind of an environment where there were a lot of injuries and not a lot of thought to one that was pretty amazing. Over time, we actually brought in what's called the Toyota production system or quality function deployment or whatever you want to call it. The whole quality focus. Yeah. And that helped us. I mean, you could pretty much eat off our shop floor. And every single employee was totally invested in his job and owned his or her part of it, right? And that was extremely rewarding. And I think that's part of what built this amazing culture of people that were really dedicated and committed to the company. Yeah. And when you returned to Jeannie later on, uh, did you feel like that culture had lasted during that time? It had, except that we got bought out. Okay. So the Fortune 500 had different visions. And the people that were still long-term genie still really thought that way. The opportunity was, and the actual, the president, Bob Wilkerson, who had been the president of genie and had sold, was hired by Terex, the company that bought us out, to travel around the U.S. to their other companies because they owned a, a, like six or seven different companies yeah. in the building industry and to teach them our way. Um, And it didn't really get adopted like we hoped it would. So I think they were trying to incorporate the genie way into the rest of the world, but they were pretty stuck in how they were doing things. So there was still pieces of it. The one thing I did get to still do, they brought me right back into strategic planning, which was amazingly cool. Um, They, I was allowed to really continue to create and develop amazing new things from scratch. I'm like a pioneer. I, think that's, <laughs> I mean, I mean, look at it. I created my own degree. I created an HR department. I created project management. The marketing job I moved into was actually created. Okay. Uh, it was because customer 
service per se marketing where, yeah, I was marketing all the product, but I was really keying into what needs were in talking to customers all the time. And whenever there were customer visits, really keying into what would work for them. So those things were all like the old genie, but there were also a lot of things that were a little more I would call stumbling blocks. Yeah. Um, but Terex is a good company and they were doing the best they knew with how they operated. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Culture is definitely one of those things in a company. It's very hard to turn the ship around or to change things once you've already set a course. Yeah. And the leaders are critical. The leaders really dr- drive the ship. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote an ebook after my experience at Genie about creating a game changing culture. Because when you're able to set up values and guiding principles and get your team all on board. You really can create an amazing culture, right? The leadership has to walk your talk. Yep. Right. And the difference was the Terex leaders didn't necessarily walk the talk we'd always done. Yeah. 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 And that was, uh, you know, in a lot of the books and stuff I've read on it. Um, and one in particular talks about, um, when it comes to a company growth and, and things like that, he's like, the thing that the, the lid on every business is the person at the top. Yeah. So the good news is the person in the, that's at the top, you can change yourself. But the, de- yeah. the downside is that you're also the only thing that's stopping the company from growing. You got it. So. You, you nailed it. Yeah. yeah. And, that's ex- and we were fortunate with the genie years with Bob being at the helm because he was an amazing person who was extremely charismatic. The guy could stand up in front of anybody and do an amazing presentation and just buy, get, reach people's hearts. Yeah. And then he and I both knew for many, many years till we got to, I don't know, four, over 4,000 employees. I didn't know anymore. But when we were around 1,500 to 2,000 employees, we knew everybody. Wow. We knew every name. We could walk through that company and and say hi by name. And Bob and I both did that. And that was a key part of the culture is when you know you're known. Yeah. Um, no matter how big the company got, that, um, that that's a good feeling. Yeah. You, you, know, you feel valued. And especially we had a lot of programs where we recognized people for <laughs> achievements. And just walking through the company and walking up to an employee and saying, hey, heard you did this great process and it's saving the company this much money way to go and they're just like whoa how did they know that right so yeah yeah that's awesome very cool so and and sounds like your your now you know career kind of slowly blossomed out of uh it kind of blossomed on its own of people started asking you for it and then you realized hey maybe i could start doing this as a living so how did how did that work when you first started kind of talking with and consulting? Yeah. So when I got approached, because I hadn't thought about consulting, I had retired. When I got approached after the Little League big day, and I think three different people came up to me and said, hey, would you help my company? I like what you're doing with the Little League. Um, I just sat down with them like I had always done with the employees and just asked questions. Really a good leader and a person to help guide people is not... I, I can help guide and give suggestions, but that person has to want to, and I need to understand them and their needs, whether it's life coaching, career coaching, or business coaching. It's really starting to hear the person that you're trying to help, what their issues are, what their problems are, what they're trying to solve, so that you can help give them tools to help them get to where they want to go. Yeah. Um, so today I have such an amazing mix of people that I coach from business owners where I actually have one business owner in the Stanwood area where I coach his whole team. Yeah. Um, like every quarter or every other quarter. And I love doing that because I know it has an overall impact on the overall culture mm-hmm. company in Seattle that I was working with for a long time. I came in and pretty much helped lead and run the company for a period of time to help them get their systems in place. Yeah. Uh, but then I'm also talking one-on-one with a person that maybe owns their own business Or someone who is just needing help in life, looking for a career, looking where they're going, what they want to do in life. So, yeah, yeah, I just, yeah. Very cool. So this is a question, and it's one of those, um, like, in my mind, they're so different. But then, in theory, a lot of times I mix these two. How would you describe the difference between someone, especially on the personal level, that is looking for coaching versus someone that's looking for counseling? Like, how would you differentiate those two 
Because they kind of seem to blend together at some they're, point. They're together in my mind. To me, counseling, coaching are very, very similar. Um, the difference might be is if somebody's truly looking for a counselor, they might be looking for somebody who got a degree in psychology and is a psychologist or a therapist or that type of thing. But a lot of the things that I do cross with them. In fact, I have a lot of therapists and psychologists that are clients because that's a hard field to be in. Yeah. Um, and I've helped them get themselves in a better place as well as shared some of my tools and techniques that I use to help people kind of find their way. Yeah. And, and yeah. Okay. So, Very cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So then you've, um, as you've been doing this, um, what are kind of your, I guess when you're starting, like when someone reaches out to you and you're, you're starting to work with them, what's that kind of process look like? You said, you mentioned the questions and kind of sitting down. Yeah. Yeah. What do you kind of go from there? Well, a complimentary call. They have to know that I'm someone that they connect with. I have to know they're someone I feel that I can offer true assistance to. And so we just jump on the phone and really talk about the issues and the things they're trying to achieve in hiring a coach or a um, consultant, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. and just make sure we're on the same wavelength. And a high percentage of those we are, they wouldn't have called me, they wouldn't have gone that far to set up the comp session unless they knew I felt right to them. Yeah. Um, but really in that process, and then I have an intake form where they really kind of define what do you want to achieve, what are your goals, what do you want to get out of this, so I can make sure I stay on track with them. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes people, this is the interesting thing, is people are thinking, well, I want to become a stronger manager. I want to be more effective with my team, right? So that's their goal. But underlying that are a lot of things about often maybe how they feel about themselves and why they're not that strong leader because they maybe have self-esteem or self-worth issues that are impacting how they treat others. Or maybe they were treated that way and that's all they know. And so really it's, that intuitiveness that I have in my ability. And, and I've had that since I was very young. Mom used to call me empathetic because she didn't know what to call me. Yeah. But I always kind of had a knowing, a feeling, and kind of an understanding of people and people that were frustrated or having a tough time. Yeah. So uh, that's how I start is really just exploring them, what they want, and then intuitively feeling if there's more that we need to address. Yeah. And do you feel like most of your clients or clientele, um, because I, I, like when I've looked at, when it comes to counseling or things like that, um, you know, my initial thought in counseling was like, it's like you want to jump in, fix what's wrong, and then move on. Yeah. Um, But it's never that quick and easy. And so when it comes to like coaching and stuff, do people usually approach it with like, okay, I want to accomplish X, Y, and Z. And once that's done, I'm, done or do you have people that are like looking at it more as a long-term thing i have both i have had clients that had one good session and we did so much that they were actually i would call it taking flight because they just had that one thing in life that was kind of keeping them from getting to where they wanted to be um i had a guy out of new zealand i think he was because i coach people by phone Mm -hmm. and around the world i think he was new zealand and he had this one issue and I went in and used my tools and we cleared that issue. And he was like, Oh my God, his life just changed in front of him. Everything got easier because this one thing was holding him back that was keeping him stuck. And we cleared it. Now he's, he sends me emails from time to time because he still credits me with changing his life, transforming his life. So he's pretty cute. (laughs) Um, but then there's people who are, and then there's everything in between. People come for certain things, but I might see something else and we just work through, but it's always driven by them. There's a lot of coaches out there that say, oh, you got to work with me for 10 times or you got to buy a package. I don't do that. I am just basically, what are your needs? We'll go time by time. What's your budget? We'll set up our sessions based on that. I try to give them as much value in the time that they can afford. Um, But I have people who... You know, oftentimes I encourage once a week for a period of time. Some people can't afford that. We might go once a month. Um, But then I have people who we get to a certain point and they're doing really great. They take off and then 
they check in with me like quarterly or they check in with me monthly and say, hey, let's have a quick session. I just have a couple things that I've hit that I need your help. But I try to give them tools. I try to make them independent. My goal is not to keep people on my every day or every week or every month call list forever. My yeah. goal is to get them living the life they're meant to do, having the tools and knowing how to deal with it and being able to create a life they love because they're following these these tips and techniques and tools. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so are there like general, I guess, principles that you use when working with people? Like regardless of who's coming to you, do you kind of have a set of principles that you work with? Uh, I, because they're so varied, whether they're coming to me for life or career or business. So like for career, I have a set process. I call it um, defining natural attributes. And what I do is I try to get to the core of who they truly are and what really speaks to them and what's going to make their heart sing. I call it DNA. So defining natural attributes. And I take them through a homework assignment. So that's a set process I use with every person who's looking for their purpose in life or looking for that perfect career. Uh, Life coaching is usually tied to something going on in their life. And so it's just going to be a little different for every single person. Mm -hmm. And But I do have what I call a toolbox of tools that I use based on what they're dealing with that I can help them kind of find their way. Mm -hmm. And then again, business coaching is going to be tied to their goals. But I find all of these cross. Yes. A lot of times a person comes to me for career coaching, but I can see they're having life issues and that's affecting their ability to get the job. So I help them clear the life stuff. We get clarity on what they should be doing in life. Then they start the job. And then in that job, they're calling me and saying, hey, can you help me? I'm trying to take the company and do this. I know you kind of have that pioneering thought process. Help me figure out where I'm going. So I'll take them through all phases, all three phases sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was, again, that was something when I started reading uh, uh, business books, I think that what ended up drawing me is I was reading these books and was like, well, these are like, this is to try and help the business side of my life or like my work side. And then I still have my spiritual side and my family side. But what I realized is upon reading all the principles that you're learning in these business books apply to your personal life, your family, your spiritual, like they apply across the board. And then it should be obvious, but it's one of those things that kind of like, realizing, oh, we're complex beings. We have a lot of aspects and each aspect touches each part of our life. Exactly. So, so I'm right now, I think I mentioned this to you earlier, I'm writing a book and it's going to be published in September. Oh, very cool. And it's called The Being Zone, B-E-I-N-G. And if you talk about principles as far as key steps to success, I've written that in that book. Okay. And this book is going to be useful not only to a person looking for life, but people looking for career and even people looking for business because it applies, like you said, across the board. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I'm really excited. I actually, uh, when I was thinking about, I, you know, for years I've thought I should really write down what I'm doing because this stuff works. I have kind of a system. Yeah. And I know it works and I should document this system. And, but when I went to write my book, I do so many different things. I didn't know how to take this big pile of stuff and get clarity to be able to actually put it into a book that wouldn't be a thousand pages, right? right. Nobody wants to read a thousand page book. <laughs> so I actually got referred to, I became friends with Bruce Lipton, who's one of my authors that I follow. He wrote the book, The Biology of Belief, uh, as well as several others, and is kind of a leader in, in, um, spirituality type things around the world. What he's done is taught a lot of people and explain the science behind how your thoughts become things. So what you're thinking becomes your reality. Mm-hmm. And if you change your thoughts, you can change your reality. So I, I believe and use a lot of the things that he has taught. And anyway, I became friends with Bruce. And I asked him who his editor was because the one thing I learned about writing books is you want a really, really good editor, right? Mm-hmm. And um, oh, so this is a funny story. Let me let me step up. So I thought about writing this book, but I still wasn't confident because I'm not a writer by nature. I'm a talker. <laughs> <laughs> I coach people. I don't necessarily write to people, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was coaching actually the head of a publishing company, the leader, the president of a publishing company, and had helped her tremendously. And she, after about a year, year and a half of coaching her, she sent me a beautiful card in the mail and just said, 
I read this book over the holidays, and everything I read in this book, I kept thinking about it. That's what Marla taught me. That's what Marla taught me. Oh my gosh, you know, Marla needs to be saying what she's doing. And so she really gave me the idea that I could write a book and that what I had to say was valuable. That same week, you talk about synchronicities, that same week I got an email from Reed Tracy, who's the uh, head of Hay House, which is a publishing company on self-help books and spirituality books. And he sent me an email, said, hey, you signed up for this book writing course four years ago and you haven't (laughs) done it yet. Want to jump on a phone call? I'm doing a conference call with everybody in that situation to kind of help you get started. I'm going, oh, my gosh. So here I have the publisher saying, write a book. I've got Reed Tracy saying, hey, you got this class on how to write a book. <laughs> and so I went, oh, cool. And so then it turns out, I jump on the phone with Reed. It turns out two weeks later, they're having a live conference in Portland. Um, and so I went to it and met all kinds of people and listened to all the stuff. And I did the training online. And I said, okay, I can do this. So then I went to find the editor. And that's when I met Bruce Lipton and got referred to his. And she used to be the head of Newsweek on TV, Newsweek magazine. I don't know what wow. you called it. Wow, okay. Yeah. yeah. So she was the director or the leader of that. And I'm talking to her and I'm telling her all this stuff. I So she's interviewing me to help me get my story. She's a developmental editor with us. So okay. trying to help me get my head around the story. And she's like going, asking me all these questions. She goes, you know, I, I don't know if you realize this, but I used to be in charge of Newsweek magazine or whatever it was and you can tell I pay a lot of attention to that as so I, I don't like name dropping and stuff but this is kind of cool and so which is a name dropping thing but anyway so she said it kind of reminds me of a woman I met in Chicago years ago and I heard her on the local tv and I knew she needed to go big and so I went and did a big special on her and that launched her career and you kind of remind me of her with the things you're saying <laughs> that person and don't take this this isn't I'm not trying to boost me or anything, but that person was Oprah. So she helped launch Oprah's career. Cause she oh, very cool. Oprah, which is fun. And so anyway, she helped me get my head around what to write and how to write. And then she goes, you can do this on your own. You don't need me. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> don't give me this direction and throw me out. So, But she did. And it worked. And so I have a book. It's going to be published in September. And along with the book, because it really is a system. It's yeah. a process. Yeah. And it kind of, the beginning of the book talks about why we are the way we are and what we can do about it. So that's like the first section of the book because mm-hmm. everybody is like they are for a reason. It's based on, believe it or not, when you're growing up, everything you see, hear, experience becomes part of your belief system because between age, between birth and like age seven, eight, nine, your brain runs in what they call the theta state, it's, which is a suggestive state or like a uh, hypnosis state. So all these things you hear and experience as a young child become part of who you are. Okay. And a lot of the way you respond to the world is based on that. Yeah. And sometimes it serves you and sometimes it doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. And so what I do is help people understand how their early years really impact how they're responding to the world today. And then and talk about any kind of ingrained beliefs or blocks that are keeping them stuck. Yeah. So that we can clear those. Uh, the other thing is, if they experienced any abuse, any trauma, or any disconnection, like people experience today through technology, people right. get into their phones and don't look up and don't have family conversations. Everybody's just buried, right? Yeah. All of those things impact how you feel and who you are in the world. So. Then the last part of that section is giving people tools for clearing how you feel and giving people tools on trying to shift those feelings and shift how you're operating in life. Okay. So I so want to, yeah, oh, go ahead. sorry to interrupt. Um, I want to come back to the, the being zone and, okay. and talk about the principles that you go through in there. But really quick, you brought up something that you probably have some more insight into. Mm-hmm. Um have there been a lot of studies and information based on, you know, we are seeing this first generation of adults now who have grown up with technology at their entire life. What type of effect are they seeing from that? It's big. And I do address it in my book. And in my book, I have all kinds of um, keynotes that I'm actually relating it to actual 
studies and texts, so you can refer back to them to look at it. But it has a major impact on people's happiness, health, etc. Because when you're there's real advantages. Don't get me wrong. I love technology. It's connected us across the world in a way that we never had before. Yeah. No news instantly. We know, you know, between all the different opportunities, social media, et cetera, we know everything immediately, but it also has disconnected us in regards to one-on-one in families. If you think about it back in the thirties, the forties, the fifties, even though they're going through the depression and that, Families would sit down for dinner together and they called it kitchen table wisdom. Yeah. You know, it'd be passed down. Grandma and grandpas were involved and a lot of the family all lived on the same property. And there were all these values, family values and things that were shared. And as technologies increased, the demand to go after success and be something has increased. And that has affected people in a big way. Yeah. Um, and even technology and working around the clock, like I was so driven and I worked around the clock, people in Japan, they actually have a name for it. I, I can't think of what it's called, but they drop dead from stress in like their 30s because they don't turn off. They're always on. Yeah. Your body has a fight or flight system in it that can only, it's meant for if the saber tooth tiger's coming at you. <laughs> it's not meant to be on all the time. And that's where I existed and why I could have killed myself. Yeah, And so I get that, and I believe technology is part of it, but it's also we tend to go after success instead of happiness. Yeah, And success does not bring happiness, but happiness does bring success. So most of my coaching is driven towards people finding their happy, finding their joy, because the success will follow. Right. Uh, I, had a, I had a client who was a, on the world stage athletically, uh, he was an Olympic athlete, twice, and owned, I think it was eight companies, multi-million billionaire, I don't know exactly how much money he made, one of the most unhappiest people I've ever coached. Mm. And it's because he was always trying to prove himself, always going after success. And you, even when you get it, it's never good enough. You get something else out in front of you. Yeah. And so it's like you're always... A, a striving for, but you're never there. Yeah. But when you go after how something feels and you're going after happiness inside and really feeling joy at each little success, then you are happy and success will follow that. Right. Well, and yeah. I think what you were just saying too, that, um, cause I never really thought of it this way is, um, that these young people are being influenced to be like these stars on social medias or star music, whatever. Like it used to be like movie star, like that was the, the goal. But now there's so many versions of that. And, and I think in, in one sense, you're getting a wider pool of people that are, you know, if you have a pool of a hundred people, you might have one person that's like this hyper successful person, or you may not. But as you increase that pool, you have more and more of those people that are that, but you also have more collateral damage because you have more people that would be, in older days would have done very well working as a number two or as a factory or in yeah. these other job things. But now they feel like they can't because that would be a failure to work yeah. and just provide for your family. Peer pressure is amazingly big and mm-hmm. how you look to others. People care what everybody else thinks. And that's part of what takes people down Yeah, is you can't live your life for others. You got to live your life for yourself. Right. And you're right on with that. I do have actually a really big influencer um, as a client. And we had to go through a lot because even though she was there and looked and has a million followers and it looks like she's got this amazing life, she was crumbling underneath Mm. it. And she actually talks about it in my book. She actually did wrote uh, the forward for my book. Oh, very cool. So, yeah, it's just because it's shiny doesn't mean it's amazing, right? Right. right. Yeah. Very so, cool. Yeah. So so going back to the being zone uh, of your book, um, you said there's some tools and principles and stuff that you go through in that. What are kind of your, I guess, how, how does this, the, the steps kind of lay out? So I have, um, once we get through the entire book, there's a couple things. Um and it really boils down to the word being. B-E-I-N-G is my acronym. When 
people are able, I call it the five daily steps, and each of those initial stands for something. When people are able to move into what I call the being zone, when you can turn off that fight or flight, turn off that rushing around and just get centered and learn to listen to the nuances, learn to listen to your heart, learn to listen to what speaks to you, and you do this daily, you can change your life. Mm -hmm. So the five daily steps are the being steps, and they are transformational. So I have clients, and I'll explain what they are here in a minute, but I have clients who tell me that when they do the, the five daily steps or the being steps daily, their life goes perfectly. When everything starts going good, they think they got it. And then they'll forget to do their daily work mm -hmm. is what we call it, their daily practice. And they'll forget to do their daily practice and then they go off the rails, right? In fact, I had a call for that this morning. She goes, I was doing so great and I was doing so fantastic. And because everything was happening right, I quit doing my daily work. And she goes, and now I'm back in my hole. And I said, yeah, that's what we learn is it's that consistency. So the being steps, let me explain what they are. Okay. There's five steps and these are a gift that I can give to your listeners is they really teach you to get here now every day. And when you can be present every day, you're going to become more intuitive. You're going to have more synchronicities. You're going to have better luck. Things just kind of unfold for you. So the B step stands for being. And being means you stop, you breathe, you might do meditation or anything that gets you into a calm state. So taking... I have all kinds of breathing exercises that I share in my book, and I also have a training program that I can that supports the book that I'll explain in a minute. But in the book, if you just stop and breathe, so really simply, I'm just going to have you breathe for a minute, and I want you to pay attention to how you feel right now. Okay. And then once we go through this breathing, how you feel after. So it's as simple as that. So I just what you're going to do is you're going to breathe in through your nose, and you're going to do it on a count of three. You're going to hold it for a count of three, so you're letting that air, uh, infiltrate your body. And then you're just going to release it through your mouth on account of three. And when you're breathing in, you're breathing in love or confidence or whatever. When you're letting go, you're letting go of anything that doesn't serve you. So let's go ahead and take a deep breath in through your nose. Okay. And hold and let it go through your mouth. Again, a deep breath in and hold and let it go. One more time. Deep breath in. And release. Do you feel calmer? Can you feel yeah. your body? Yeah. Just stopping to breathe can put you in the breathing zone. I also teach relaxation, simple and fast meditation and relaxation exercises. Different things speak to different people. In my book, I offer all kinds of options because one tool doesn't work for another person. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to find the one that works for you. The E step is we are energetic beings. And E stands for energy and bringing in good energy. And the best source for energy, believe it or not, is our earth. I don't know if you've ever heard about grounding or earthing. Yeah. Just going, okay, so going out, sitting on the beach, sitting in the grass, putting your bare foot on the earth you're actually bringing good energy into your body. That's what all of our nature and trees and plants already have known for as long as they've existed. And your body, it's almost like a natural docking station for people that are into technology. <laughs> Go dock yourself on the earth and it'll increase the energy in your body. Because all these energy, and they've known this in Eastern cultures for, for thousands and thousands of years, and Western cultures now are starting to adopt it. Yeah. But because pharma doesn't make money off it, it's still being pushed back by some some medical uh, right. doctors, etc. Yeah. But there's a lot of the naturopaths, the acupuncturists, all those guys get this. Yeah. And so basically, this energy system in your body gets blocked. So if you're tight and tense in your shoulders and you're under a lot of stress, that tension tightens up your shoulders and kind of shuts down your energy circuits, causing headaches, causing illness, 
your whole body's related to it. When your energy systems are all flowing, you're going to be healthy. You're not going to have all that tightness and tension. You're not going to have the headaches. You're not going to have the illness. You're just going to feel better overall mm-hmm. by bringing in. So part of that is now and going grounding. My my client in Toronto in the wintertime, she goes, I can't go out there. It's way too cold. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not going out there. And so I, you know, bring plants into your house. Touch those. Uh, there's, I have a lot of exercises and I have, the book is tied to a website that I will be introducing a little bit later, but there's recordings on there that people can go listen to if they buy the book. It'll tell them how to get to the recordings and teach them how to do grounding without having to go on the earth and how mm-hmm. to bring in good energy. The I step is about intentions. You know, if you're jumping in the car and going to New York, it's always good to have a map, know where you're going, right? And a lot of people go through life and they don't really always know where they're going. Yeah. And so by stating, setting some intentions and having them and stating them daily, it starts you on your path. And so you say, okay, my intention is for this day to go with ease and grace, or my intention is for my podcast this afternoon to be awesome. Right. Yeah. When you say what you want, you're going to get it. What we tend to do because of how we're brought up and everything is we tend to live in our heads and we tend to, I I think it's, we have 90, we think between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts a day, 90% of them are the same as yesterday. And like (laughs) 95% of those are negative. I mean, we are negative beings Yeah. and we tend to operate and that's based on what we heard when we were young and how we're operating in life. But we tend to operate in our heads. And I mm-hmm. teach people how to turn that little voice in their head off, shut it down, and learn how to listen to their heart or their intuition. Yeah. And that's a big piece of this. Um, and so then the next step is the end step, which I call your true north. So it stands for north. And it's helping people really get clarity on who they are and what's going to make them happy in life. And then stating affirmations around that. So let's just say that your true north is really spreading positive across Camino Island through your podcast, whatever mm-hmm. it might be, or, or educating the people of Camino of all these wonderful resources they have on the island, whatever it might be. So your affirmation might be is, is to um, truly make a difference with each podcast that you offer. Yeah. Right? And so when you're saying those intentions, those affirmations, and they line up with what you really want, that brings more of that into your life. That's when the synchronicities start happening and things kind of line up. Um, And then the G step is the final one. And everybody, this is a thing that I had a difficult time on how to write about because it's guidance. It's guidance from something greater than you. It's spirituality. Mm. And there's a lot of people that are religious going, oh, don't do that woo-woo stuff with me. Or right. there's people that are atheists and say, don't talk about any of that with me. And then there's people that are spiritual and open to that. So I really had to think about how yeah. to approach this topic in a way that would be embraced by more and not shut people off. And basically, I don't care what you call it. You can call it talking to your own heart. You can talk it, call it talking to source or universe or God or whatever your belief system is. It doesn't matter. The important thing is... When you get out of your head and you're listening to your heart, you are looking for guidance and uh, from something greater than you. Mm-hmm. And um, so building that into your daily steps is part of it is just, you know, help me find the best way to go about this. Yeah. yeah I don't care if you're talking to. <laughs> yeah. Um, just ask for that guidance and answers will come to you. Yeah. When you're quiet, when you've got into that peaceful mode, answers will come to you. Yeah. Well, and I think, and just that breathing exercise, and, and one of those things is like the amount of times, like on a weekly or daily or anything basis, where I can pinpoint the amount of times that I've actually just stopped to just breathe. Like, uh, it, it's really hard to remember, like, you know, how often yeah. that happens. It's like, it's very, very rare because yeah. in our world, it's like, oh, there's this fire. Oh, there's this question. Oh, there's this thing. And you never take the time to just take three breaths, just right. breathe. And um, I think that's, you know, just that alone is very helpful to, you know, kind of center us, bring us back. Like, okay, exactly. look at where we are. Look at what we've been able to do. Like breathe about that. Be fine. 
Okay, yeah. now let's move forward. <laughs> exactly. And every single time you do that, it's almost like rebooting mm-hmm. for the day. Every time you stop to breathe. Yeah. And if, if, if people do nothing but breathe, that's a good first step. Perfect yeah. first step. Uh, when you learn to kind of build all the other things in, you kind of start creating the life you want versus letting it happen to you. Yeah. That's that's kind of the difference between those. But the just the breathing, I, I mean, it's named being. The book is named Being Zone for purposes. Getting into that calm place yeah. is always going to make you more effective, more efficient, more powerful in whatever you do. You're going to be heard better every time before I get up on a stage to speak. Every or jump on a coaching call every time, uh, whatever, I stop and breathe. Anytime I start to get stressed, I stop to breathe. I don't get stressed anymore. I really don't <laughs> because I am I breathe before I do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing is just um, one of the things that uh, from listening to different interviews and stuff of, of successful people on other people's podcasts and stuff, um, mm-hmm. you know, a big thing is they always talk about like their morning routine and what they do. And, mm-hmm. and it's that, um, you know, building in those incremental daily things that you can do that, yeah. you know, maybe the all together takes you five minutes to do, but if you're exactly. going five minutes forward every day, that's five, that's more than if you're not in it, you're just in this chaotic storm. Exactly. You know, so I've got a client, I've got a couple of really good examples of clients. One's in a fortune 500 in a leadership position, another one who's in a fast growing locally owned company, but both of them are on fire per se, how they operate. They operate like I used to, right? <laughs> They're always on. They don't know how to turn off. They just go, go, go. That stop and breathe that five minutes and both of them can't take more than five minutes or 10 at the most of morning practice. But if they take that five minutes, it makes all the difference in their day. And they're both highly trained now during the day if something hits them sideways to stop and breathe. And those few things, and then both of them are going out for walks at lunch if they can, when they can. Yeah. But both of them are in such high power positions, it's hard to do. Right. But those things alone have made the difference between them being stressed and overwhelmed and sick and being able to manage the workload that they have and the life that they have. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Well, thank you so much for going over those steps. Those are really cool. And, and I'm sure the listeners will really enjoy going through those. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And hopefully uh, if people, um, I have a website right now that's launched and on my marlawilliams.net. People can go on there if they want to know about early release for the book. And okay. uh, there's a place that says book there and they can, click about early release and they'll know when the book is out. Um, the other piece, this book, so we wrote this book or I wrote this book and there's a journal that goes with it because part of this process is kind of uncovering the stuff in your life you need to let go of. Yeah. Right. And then kind of really get in direction on where you want to go. So I created a journal to go with it. Oh, nice. And so it's the being zone and the, the being journal, which is a companion to the being zone. But I'm also creating a training program because I've had a lot of um, coaches, counselors, therapists, and psychologists as clients that I have, know my system works. So I'm teaching them my system as well as a few tools that are my proprietary tools and they're really effective. Um, and I'm certifying practitioners in what I'm teaching here. Okay. And so that I can, my goal is I want to spread this. I want more and more people to do it because it does transform lives and it puts people in a better place. And you learn how to listen to your intuition, which it sounds like you're pretty intuitive just by yourself. I can feel it and talking to you. Um, but not everybody's like that. A lot of people are in their heads and not really listening to what intuitively feels right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So are these, um, we talked a little bit, um, before jumping on the call about the, the steps that you're, you're kind of either your coaching clients or just talking with people who are kind of dealing with what we're in right now with the COVID pandemic going on. Um, what have you kind of, how, I guess, what tools have you given to people to kind of work, help them through that right now? COVID has been really difficult and everybody's responded differently. I have friends and neighbors that have said how, it hasn't really changed my life much at all. This is kind of how I operated. So the difference is they may shop at a different time of day because they're in a protected class and they've got to be careful, right? Mm-hmm. 
um, and they don't get to go out to dinner or something. Then there's people who are just angry. They're yeah. just mad that the world is shut down or they have to wear a mask and they're making me wear a mask. And um, then there, I mean, I have the full range, believe me. <laughs> and, then, and then we've got the, the people who are somewhere in between the really angry ones, the ones that are frustrated and just tired of being at home. Then there's those that have gotten depressed and lonely mm-hmm. and alone because they can't be around their friends or do the things they want to do. All of that is mindset, all of that. And it's really something where people can make a decision on how they want to respond to the world. Learning how to be, get in the being zone, learning how to be present in the moment is really the first step to getting through this pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, Stopping and breathing will do that. And then just centering down and listening to your heart when you can turn off that voice in your head like I said it's mostly negative right yeah and we listen to it and so when your head starts taking off I'm worried about this or I'm anxious about this or I'm frustrated about this or whatever the case might be is just say wait a minute stop I don't want to listen to my head anymore I don't want to listen to that little voice that just keeps going on and on and puts me into that depression or puts me into that anger or puts me into that right and learn how to just stop and be present and breathe and listen to their heart, which is where your intuition, your heart actually, this is proven scientifically, your brain than your brain does to your heart. It's actually considered a brain. Your heart is a brain as your gut is a brain. Oh, yes. So the mind-body yeah. connection. So when your gut brain, your heart brain, and your head brain, especially your conscious brain and not this subconscious that is driving that voice in your head, but your conscious brain, which is your left and right brain and your logic and all that, when those are all communicating together, you're going to be on. You're going to make decisions that feel good to you because you're listening to something beyond that voice in your head. You're listening to your intuitive sense mm-hmm. and combining that conscious brain with your heart brain and your gut brain. Yeah. So it's slowing down. It's listening to how things feel and it's not just jumping into I'm angry. Well, why am I angry? Right. Is there anything I can do to take away that anger? And um, the other big thing, here's a big thing people should do doing during the virus that I really have encouraged all my clients to do is I call them happiness boosting activities. Do things that make you happy. The more you do things that fill you up and make you happy, and there's so many individual things or you and your spouse things or you and your family things you can do from hiking to kayaking, even golf is set up to be more safe, Mm -hmm. uh, to just spending time outdoors, to making meals together. Do things with people you enjoy being with. Do things you love to do because the more you do happiness boosting, the better you're going to feel, the less alone you're going to feel, the less depressed. And yeah, you might need to keep a 12-foot distance in some cases if you've been have medical issues, but you can still sit across the yard from somebody and talk to them. Build yep. that into your day. Don't just say, oh, I can't do anything and I'm stuck and I'm all alone. Right. Get out and do things. I'm, I'm doing them all. The- I have a book club. We did it virtually for months. We just had one and we were all spread out on this patio. So nobody was like right next to each other. Yep. And we all had on masks and we all did our book club. Yeah. Right? And yep. so you can do things. I've gone to... Um, meals now with people where we just like bring your own food, bring your own stuff, sit in chairs across the lawn and enjoy each other. Yep. And then there's people that are being braver and actually having gatherings and I hope and pray they're fine and they might be. Um, yep. I, I just have an 89 year old dad, so I have to stay safe. So right, right. probably one that stays a little more protected for him. Yep. Well, and I think, uh, you know, this is going back to an older podcast um, when I was talking with some people, but they um, they were talking about one of the biggest things that's missing right now, culturally, like across generations and stuff, is empathy. Yeah. And that really makes the whole difference. It makes everything about the pandemic that's going on and how people are reacting. And when you're talking with people, it's mm-hmm. completely changing how you will interact with that person. If you are empathetic towards their needs and why they are being the way they are, yeah. whether it's angry or scared or whatever it is, um, mm-hmm. you realize, oh, we're all just trying to deal with this. And so yeah. you don't have to react angrily. You don't have to react right. defensively. You yeah. can just interact with them as humans. Yeah. Yeah. So. And accept them for where they're at. Right. 
everybody is there because of their life story. Mm-hmm. They react to the world, whether it be anger or whether they're just fine, based on their own individual circumstances. It doesn't make them bad or good or better or worse. Yep. It just makes them them. And accepting yep. people for where they are and trying to have empathy and understand why they might be angry. Um, when I'm working with clients that are angry and having, and I do have them, I have those clients, is I really have them go into connecting with that anger and mm-hmm. really trying to work through it so that they can get in a better space so they're not butting heads against other people. Yeah. Right? And so, or there might be the person that's very depressed and lonely, and so I'm encouraging them to do things that will get them out more socially connected one mm-hmm. way or another without endangering themselves. Um, but yeah, the way you get through issues is by really being honest what the issues are yeah. and addressing it and thanking it, you know, for being there. It's part of you for a reason. Yep. It doesn't mean you have to hold on to it. Anybody can change. And when you begin to listen to your heart instead of being in your head, the head, the, the head, the anger, the frustration, the depression, all of that is what I call ego. And it is based on your subconscious, which is back in your cerebellum, back in the unconscious part of your brain that is based on how you grew up. When you learn to accept that it's there and uh, talk to it and let it go, you can move on and begin to operate from more of what I call a heart-based place, which then builds the empathy and builds the connection with others and increases your happiness. Yeah. When you operate from the heart, not the head, you actually are going to have a better day every day. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. I'm, uh, I end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. Okay. Um, so the first one is, do you have a lesser known or favorite location on Camino Island that you like to hang out? Oh, I love the beach. I'm a beach girl. I go down on, sit on the beach almost every night. Yeah. Yeah. And I live by Madrona, so I'm on the Madrona Beach area. Nice. Yeah. No, it is it is nice being able to just drive over to the beach and hang out for a yeah. little bit. So. Yeah, I got to tell you, though, one of my favorite things is that roaster coffee you guys have. <laughs> <laughs> I love your coffee. But anyway, go ahead. Thank you. You can ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, pretend you have a friend coming from out of town. Uh, what would their first day look like here? Okay. So I would them to the beach. I'd probably take them on a hike. We have some amazing hikes here yeah. on Camino Island. Um, some of them are beach hikes. Some of them aren't. Barnum Point is awesome. Yeah. Um, the state park. Um, there's all kinds of hikes, and it's just exploring that. Uh, oftentimes, we'll end up having a meal either at the Camino Commons mm-hmm. or heading to Stanwood. Yeah. So yeah. Nice. All or right. Our deck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if it's a nice day. Might go boating, do some crabbing that time of year. So there you go. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. Um, All right. Who is an interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview next? Oh, we have some amazing people in this community. So are we looking on Camino or Camino Stanwood? Camino Stanwood. Okay. And and, yeah, around is fine too. So here's a person who I find really interesting that might be fun to talk to is, um, and you may have already, because I didn't look at who all your interviews have been, but Adam Kopp, Mm -hmm. he runs Matic. Yeah. A marketing firm. He's really interesting. Yeah. He's done some cool things. Have you interviewed him? Yeah. Yeah. And he's actually, um, who told me to reach out to you because he's like, she'd be a great interview. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Okay. So. So let me keep going. Um, there's so many amazing people. Um, so one of the things, there's so many people like in the community, like um, the Heagles doing Arrowhead Ranch. Mm-hmm. Have you done an interview with them? Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. Okay. Then there's like the Camino Yacht Club, which I belong to. And is a really cool community group. And we have done amazing things. And even with COVID, and we can't do the gatherings, there's still this community there and people helping people and being there for each other. And it's really nice in a COVID world to know you have this community of support. Yeah. And so 
Um, right now, the Commodore is Bill Paulson, and but prior to that was um, Mike Harris and Terry Swarner, and those two kind of transform the. They'd be really interesting to talk to, and actually, Terry's a really interesting person because her son is got a kind of a global following. He is a person who had cancer, I think, twice, maybe three times, lost a lung, and is the first person in the world to climb all seven summits without a lung, without one of his lungs. So he's done the highest summits in every continent in the world. Wow. As well as the North Pole and the South Pole. And he does it all. <laughs> she got to, he got recognized for some peace thing, and she got to sit at dinner with Desmond Tutu because he was getting recognized too. Wow. So anyway, so Terry would be pretty cool. Uh, and her par- her husband, partner, Mike Harris, um, and then the current Commodore. But just the Yacht Club in itself is kind of a cool community deal. Okay, very cool. So hope that all helps. Yeah, for sure. And, and another person in Stanwood, and you may have interviewed her, is Danielle Inman. No, who's she? She owned Island Girl Creative that she just had to close down. But she oh, she did. Changes lives through painting. And um, just had to close down her shop, so she's going Aww. through a tough time. But she's a pretty interesting um, person that just, I mean, she's just got a go-getter attitude. And when something needs to be done, she jumps out and she does it. Yeah. So, anyway. Very cool. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then lastly, if you could have a message on a billboard right on Kamano Island as you're driving up the hill, what would that say? Slow down and enjoy life. Yep. <laughs> right? Camino is considered the easy island because it's easy to get to, but it's also a place to just be at ease. Yeah. 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 It's it's really interesting that Camino Island, It um, I've talked to many, many people now, um, whether it's for the podcast or just in general, that live on the island. And many of them have said the same thing. When they drive across the bridge onto Camino, it's like they're like... <sighs> Like, exactly. And it's so, I, I think it's really interesting. I, I've heard it from so many different people. And, um, you know, as someone that drives to Camino to work, um, I still get that. And I, I think part of it is that you're, regardless of where you are, of what I'm doing, yeah. I know I could go drive to the beach and just, you know, chill for 15 minutes. Yeah. Or I, I don't know if it's the foreknowledge of that you could go out and relax or what it is, but yeah. um, it's a common thing I hear. Yeah, and it's absolutely true. And it actually starts at the hill coming down into Stanwood when you can see the bridge. <laughs> yeah. That feeling starts right there. And then as you go across the bridge, it just firms it up and makes it feel amazing. Yeah. I own some property on San Juan Island, and I got that same feeling getting on the ferry, and I never thought I'd have it here, and I have it. So yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's a real thing, and it's very, very <laughs> healthy. So just stop, breathe, and enjoy. Very cool. Well, Marla, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, this was fun. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Marla Williams for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to kamenocommons.com slash EP59. That's kamenocommons.com slash EP59. Thanks for listening and see you next time.